Welcome to Pro Audio Profiles. I'm Brennan DeCora, and on this show, we focus on techniques for inspired studio performances. Each week, I host experts from across the industry. Let's get started. Today, we have Brad Hanel. He's a film scoring engineer and mixer who's also worked on records as well. He's got film credits on Life of Pi, The Lego Movie, Avatar, The Way of Water, and Marvel's What If. His album credits include Nelly Furtado and Dr. Dre. Check it out. So, first and foremost, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Oh, I really my pleasure. appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. I'd like to start off by, if you could go over your backstory, kind of how you got started, what made you want to be an engineer, your whole history, if you can. It's a good story, actually. Yeah. So, I'll go, we'll go down some that time, line. Please. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, as a young kid, you know, grew in, growing up, you know, decided, you know, I want to be a rock star. So, you know, as we did as teenagers, so I'm going to be a rock star. And I tried, uh, I distinctly remember trying a bunch of different instruments and uh, uh, a buddy of mine who played drums and left his mm. drums at my house. Uh, luckily, my parents were nice enough to lend right. us their garage thank right. you yeah nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we made all the horrible noise uh back then yeah. uh in my parents garage um then i uh i just took to the drums and i right. instantly kind of just fell in love with playing the instrument and and doing all of that nice. um so that was kind of the the, the foray into getting into this i mean i'm going to blame my dad too a little yeah. bit because he was kind of an audiophile okay so that that's kind of where the crossover right. occurred okay. So he was one of these you know, guys I remember distinctly in the, you know, when I was very, very young in the, in the mid, you know, early sixties, mid sixties, mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, we had a, you know, the living room and it was a component stereo system back okay. in that time, which was kind of crazy to have nice. a component stereo yeah, system, yeah. uh, which included a reel to reel, uh, tape machine nice. at that point. So I think as a very young age was influenced by mm-hmm. that, that whole, that whole thing. Right. Thus leaping to, um, uh, you know, playing in rock bands and having a great right. time and doing all of that sort of stuff. Right. But I ended up, uh, and th- this actually story leads into a much longer uh, term thing, because one of the gentlemen that was in the band with me mm-hmm. in the early days was a guy named Jeff Dana, who is a okay. pretty big composer, okay. film composer out of Toronto now. Dang. His brother, Michael Dana. And so they were neighbors of ours. I knew him that long. I'd known him that long. <laughs> That's how crazy uh, some of these relationships right. are in this business. And so... Um, Jeff at some point decided, you know, he didn't want to be in like a cover rock band. Mm -hmm. You know, he wanted to be a real writer and kind of live at the times. And, you know, now we're we're heading into the late 70s and he's uh, sort of forms this uh, punk rock band or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. new new wave band, whatever you wanted to call it back back at that time. And uh, his brother, Michael, um, Mm -hmm. who, again, another big uh, film composer. He uh, had some studio time at one of the big studios at, in L.A. because he was okay. in some bands at that point, too. Mm. And so we went into Sounds Interchange, which was one of the big studios there. Okay. You know, Bob Ezrin did a lot of things there nice. and things like that. So there's yeah. Alice Cooper. You've yeah. got, I think, parts of the wall were recorded there, if not wow. mo- most of it. Like, there was a lot of stuff Bob was working on at that mm. time when he was, um, you know, sort of the the big producer at that right. point. Um, and I distinctly remember going in that, and I think, it, I think this was 78, Okay. If I remember correctly, I was going to go and look on the little thing and just see what year this actually was. <laughs> but I think okay. it was 78. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I, don't, I don't exactly remember, but I, I feel like it was 78. Um, 
And all I remember was going in there and it was a Neve console, tape machines whirring around, they were using mm -hmm. tape slap and all this, yeah. you know, the old school techniques. And, and then there was, you know, an, an overhead uh, panel with all the outboard gear in it. Probably oh, was nice. probably <laughs> terrible for acoustics at yeah. the time, but nobody really, you know, was paying much attention to right. that. But I do remember just, I couldn't sleep for two days hmm. following that session that I went wow. in um, on with these guys. And I was, um, I just knew that at that point, that's what I wanted to do for right. a living. And so that's, nice. you know, that's kind of the, the how I, yeah. you know, why I wanted to right, get right. into it. So, nice. yeah. Nice. And did you go to school or anything? How I did, did eventually. Um, so school in, in Toronto, they started in Montreal called Trevis Institute. Mm -hmm. And they started, I think they even had one here in LA for a while and okay. stuff like that. I think they expanded and then shrank like so many companies, mm -hmm. you know, they, they try these things and. Um, I think they're still going. I don't, I don't even mm. really know, but, uh, they opened up in Toronto. Um, what was nice about that school at the time was they were brand new to Toronto right. and they didn't have a facility at all, really. So uh -huh. there's only one sort of class. Um, and we were at a place called McClear Place Studios, which was again, one of the big studios okay. in Toronto. Um, so it was really nice because we were in an actual studio working environment. Right. So I got to even get, you know, a little closer to right. the realities of what I wanted to do. Nice. Um, so that, uh, and yeah. then what led you to LA? Well, eventually, um, another great story. Um, <laughs> uh, so I eventually got a, a, a job at, um, a studio in Toronto called Manta sound, okay. uh, which is one of the bigger studios, uh, mm -hmm. again, in, in Toronto. Um, unfortunately no longer there. It's, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's a parking lot, but that's, uh, that's how it goes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? Um, so, I mean, that was, but oddly that was one of the reasons that I ended up in LA. So, mm -hmm. um, was because, you know, you sort of saw the, the writing on the wall at some right. point, you know, right. when things are deteriorating. Yeah. Um, so I worked there for, five or six years i can't remember exactly at manta but in the in the interim you know sort of near the end of when i was working there uh i ran into jeff dana again oh, on really? the streets okay. in in um in toronto we just hmm. at the he was around the toronto film festival at the time right. or something like that and we were like hey dude how's it going we hadn't seen each other like through for years <laughs> you know and uh i said you know what are you up to and he said well he he had gotten um you know, he had gotten really bad carpal tunnel. Oh, geez. And basically, so, so sort of performance hmm. on the guitar wasn't really a career path right. at this point. Okay. So he had gone in at this point into writing uh, for, for television or right. film. Okay. Um, you know, with his brother, they were working together, mm -hmm. even in those early days. Um, you know, obviously his brother kind of showing the ropes and getting yeah. him going and having him help. And then there was a television series that he was doing, um, Sweating bullets, it was called. Oh my okay. goodness! Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll break out the uh, the, the yeah. old stuff. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and uh, Jeff was writing it, and 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 he said, "Yeah, I've been doing this this thing." And I said, "Well, I work in at Manta Sound down the mm -hmm. street. I'm a recording engineer now." Nice. And he said, I need a recording engineer. It was literally <laughs> that That's kind awesome. of thing. And nice. so we got together and uh, started working. I, they, they cut me a nice deal at mm -hmm. the studio to, to be able to do this, because right. obviously there right. wasn't much of a budget, yeah. you know? Um, 
And we would go in and do a very, very long day. Um, yeah. We would technically go down the path because it was crazy what we, we were doing to right. make these shows happen. But we'd get it done, you know, yeah. on these crazy long days. And then, um, uh, you know, sort of after that, we kept, Jeff and I, obviously, our relationship was just starting right. again right. As, a, as, you know, Working film composer. Yeah. And so I just continued, uh, you know, working for him. And then I think it was season three of Sweating Bullets finally, or it was either. And then he also got another series at that point, if I remember correctly. And basically he was asked to move to Los Angeles. Okay. So at that point, I was in a decision-making mode too of what, where is my career going? Because as right. I was saying, that's part right. of what, what I was seeing happening in Toronto. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what kept the Toronto... Uh, seen alive really uh, was advertising. Um, okay. You know, we didn't have a lot. There was some film score work we did. I mean, luckily right. at Manta, we had five rooms and they were okay. all completely different. Wow. So we had a pretty big room that we could hold like 80 musicians. It was Jeez. tight, but yeah. we'd get them in there. Okay. Um, and then we had, you know, a couple of smaller uh, sort of more rock style mm -hmm. rooms. And then upstairs we had, uh, you know, post-production-ish rooms, right. mostly for voiceover and okay. things like that. Okay. So we were doing um, a it lot like of- everything. It was like everything, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so that's sort of where I really got deep into, you know, learning almost all the techniques that, right. that you yeah. know, you needed to, to, to get to, to do this work. Right, right. Um, and they were very gracious, Manta. Uh, mm -hmm. Andy Hermont was the owner, and he was just very, very gracious about okay. his people being able to learn. Right. So any downtime that we were available, he would let us bring in our own nice. projects and and work on mixes. Nice. And it was. It was a learning experience. Right. I mean, it still is every day. I mean, yeah, you, know, we, you yeah. know, all this stuff changes so rapidly right. that, that every day I'm going, okay. Exactly. This is a you know a, a, a cheaper project, so maybe I'll start experimenting a little right, bit more right. on on this project, which is which is fun, and I think you yeah. know people appreciate that too because I'm going right. to try to go a little further with it. But mm -hmm. anyway, that's, so that's, that's an interesting concept how you use that to even you know benefit yourself. It's yeah, you're taking a, a cut on the rate, but yeah, you're using it to learn and try new things and all that. Where you can't always do that with the super high budget, high profile stuff because everyone wants. Absolutely yeah. not. That's a big, that's actually a big issue, you right. know, segueing into that. But it's, it's, it, it is when I'm on a major film score, mm -hmm. I always do a little experimentation. Right. There's something that I'm going to do, <laughs> right. you know, but you can't break completely free of what works right. because you have to, at the end of the day, you've got, you know, $80,000 a day sitting on the floor or however much it is, you know, exactly. that, you know, um, yep. that you can't yep. be the guy responsible for not capturing. Exactly. So, exactly. um, you have to kind of go with what works and then right. try to find some techniques right. around it that, that, uh, exactly. Yeah. Now you have this beautiful Atmos room now. Yeah. What led you to go down this path of Atmos? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how much time we got? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let me start by saying I've been at this since I said, like, 78 was at, you yeah. know, so I've been at this a very long time. Um, and honestly, I can say I never imagined myself being a studio owner. I never, okay. that was not ever in the in the cards, you know, right. that wasn't what we Yeah, but even when do. We, we met many, many years ago. Oh, I know, ago, I know. And you had a little studio then, too. I know, I know. <laughs> um, it, it really had to do with just the way the industry went 
Right. You know, and it kind of just, and I think I could speak for most of us, you know, right. yeah. uh, that, you know, we didn't want to have to invest in all of this stuff and, right. and, and everything else. And of course times have changed. I mean, it's like, we yeah. don't need, you know, big digital multi-tracks anymore exactly. and all of those things. So we don't cost need a million dollars. Anymore. Right. And yeah. it's, it's a matter of the, the cost It's a matter of the, the amount of power you need, mm -hmm. you know, you need the amperage to run right. those big Neve desks right. and those big, yeah, uh, just uh, the power bill, the, those just the power alone. Is, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, times have changed that way. It's all mm -hmm. computer based at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, uh, so, you know, it really sort of started back when I was still doing, you know, I've always done pop mm -hmm. and film. Okay. So it's always been sort of a dual career, especially in the early days. All I was right. kind of had one foot in both yeah. worlds, you know, um, Especially when I met you, I think that the, yeah. yeah, back in those days, I was no, still I, I in that that's, in that mode. I yeah. think of, that's, of doing honestly both. that's fairly uncommon in the industry. Most engineers are all music or all film, you know, right? Yeah, well, really... all music that is well, a thing. Yeah, yeah, all music, but you know, right? Exactly. No, and I know that is uh, there is there's there's not too many uh, like us. I think it served me very very well in film, however. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because you know people go on about film music. Right. You know, as if it's a genre. Yeah. It's not really a genre of music. Yeah. You know, um, yes, there are orchestras involved. Is it classical music? Eh, sometimes if, right. if that's the call for it. But most of the time right. it's it's something else. It's some derivative mm. form of music or combinations of music um, that are being used. So right. um, by having a musical background in all formats of music, mm. really, I don't think there really is much that I haven't done right in some form right, you know right. so you have a general knowledge of what those things are yeah. and then you can combine them of um to make it a little more legit sounding on the screen yes you know exactly. and i think that's kind of exactly. uh why that's served me very very well right. but anyway back to um yeah so back to, sorry I yeah i know I, I, I told you yeah question. try to keep me on on track <laughs> i told you um uh what was the question yeah sorry uh what led you to open this um, so yeah, so then in the early the early days, I mean, I think it was just the way the pricing was going, you know. Right. So it would start as, you know, X number of dollars for me, mm. and they'd pay for the studio costs, right. the, you know, and that was great. So they're paying for the studio costs. So if mm. it's a you know fifteen hundred two thousand dollar a day studio, right. the record company's picking that up, and I'm making a fee. Yeah. Okay. Then it would be like, okay, Brad, you know, then it turns into what's the fee, you know, for just doing one song as opposed to a daily fee, right, right. you know, and guys start doing that. And then okay. it's like, oh, well, can we do this for one flat rate just for the whole thing, including the studio? And, you know, right. I was locked down at Can-Am for... God, you know, when I was doing Nelly, so back in 99, mm -hmm. uh, that was Nelly Furtado's first record yeah. and a bunch of other, I did a bunch of films in there, but I was in mm -hmm. Can-Am Studio, whatever their little room is, A, I think it was A, Studio A, yeah, yeah it was yeah. Studio A, up at the front there. Um, I was locked down in there for a good three or four years. Wow. That was basically, you know, nice. and I think a lot of engineers were starting to do that where they, yes. they just kind of stay in a place and hopefully the gigs would keep coming right, and, right. and everything would, would keep working. And it did for a, for a time. Mm -hmm. Um, then when you started to go to other studios and they were asking for these rates, I mean, like if they're only right. giving you $5,000 for a song and it goes into two days and it's a $2,000 a day studio, right. suddenly you're like, you're doing the math, you're going, yeah. okay, this isn't working. And I think a lot of it also had to do with this, the computer age. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think that, 
it wasn't just the fact that, you know, suddenly everyone can do it in computers. It's suddenly everyone can do it in computers badly. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But, I mean, there was a lot of bad stuff going on at that yes. point. That transitional period. Yes. So they would give, you know, this pile of stuff. And then, and then, you know, immediately the production techniques had changed. Right. So immediately nobody's making decisions. Immediately nobody's <laughs> committing to anything. Right. Unlike, you know, yeah. uh, the analog days, mm -hmm. which, um, uh, that's a point I like to make because, um, but at any rate, so I ended up, you know, you'd end up in the studio and you'd end up sorting yeah. <laughs> for like 10, 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to figure out what it is right. that you've got to work with. And I'm going, wow, and I just paid $2,000 to sit here and sort through <laughs> data. organize stuff. <laughs> and organize stuff. Yeah. So that's essentially, it started as a, let's just build a little room mm -hmm. where I can have a computer. Right. And I can pre-sort. And the idea was always that I'd pre-sort it and then go to a bigger studio right, right. and do the final mixing. Uh, once I sort of had it at that stage, mm -hmm. you know, um, but again, you know, that, tr that it just went, it was light speed how <laughs> yeah. fast all of this went. Right, I mean, literally, right. I remember I, I was in that little room. Uh, it was literally a little bedroom size yeah. thing and that's all it was supposed to be. I didn't need right. to really have quality monitoring or anything. Mm -hmm. I just needed to kind of. Just like an editing space. An editing space. Yeah. Just get get the stuff together. And again, this is before we had outside editors and all mm -hmm. the other things yeah. that I ha have access to now mm -hmm. uh, as well. Um, but uh, that quickly turned into, oh, well, if I just put another little speaker in the center and a couple of surrounds, <laughs> I could kind of mix film in here for those really low budget <laughs> right. films. And before you know it, yeah. I got this. <laughs> Next thing you know. Next thing you know, you've got uh, a massive studio. Um, it really did. Hustle. I mean, and now, I mean, the unfortunate expectation of, of yeah. the times now is I don't think there's a, you know, other than the really, you know, like, I, I think really there's very few engineers that don't have their own studio, you know, yeah. um, even some of the older guys ha have to, you know, had to uh, right. get their own, their own studios. But, um, now it's the expectation. I think, yeah, um, you know, we all have a mix room and it's all mm. Atmos at this yeah. point because <laughs> yeah. that's the expectation. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate, but you know, we can do it. Right. So I guess that's part of it. Right. Um, it is a drag because I, I think it's, it's difficult sometimes because I don't think producing people realize when they're just doing numbers, yeah. you know, what it takes to maintain and, and keep yeah. these things going exactly. and all the rest of that stuff. It's not, you know, it's yeah. not that easy a task. You no, know? it's crazy. So. Um, so one of the things I like to talk about a lot on the podcast is kind of how to inspire artists in the studio. And I know obviously from a film scoring perspective, it's different because oftentimes that artist is a composer. Mm. So how do you work with, I mean, Granted, most of the time your clients are people you've worked with for many years, like right. yeah. Jeff. And, yeah, and, yeah. But how do you how do you work with composers like you haven't worked with before to make sure that they're comfortable in the studio and prepared? All uh, right, huh? That's a good, very good question. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, generally, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, at this point sort of the work speaks for itself a little bit. So yes. you hopefully you're going in going, okay, he kind of knows what he's doing. Right. I think it's more about, um, especially these days, getting in early with 
whatever project you're working on. Mm -hmm. So it used to be that literally, you know, I get a lineup for, uh, you know, the band that I'm going to about to record. And I'd look at the lineup and I would ask a few questions of, you know, always, you know, especially composers I know go, Mm -hmm. Hey, is there anything in particular you're going for stylistically sound wise, Mm -hmm. anything like that, that I need to be aware of? Uh, or is it just a, you know, a kind of a, you know, capture what this is, you know? Mm. Um, and if I don't get any response, then it's kind of capture what this is. Right, so right. whatever that might be. I mean, and as I said, with film scores, it could be an 80 piece orchestra. It could be yeah. a seven piece rock band. It could be a big band. It could right. be, it literally could be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And so I usually go in uh, just trying to get in early and, yes. and just sort of get a better feel for the film itself mm-hmm what the score is trying to do with the film um, because it's not always on point, you know, and it's not always on the nose. In fact, most of the clients I work with are not always on the nose, (laughs) which is, I love that. I mean, that's why I love uh, Mm -hmm. film, film music so much um, is that you've got a little bit of that interpretation thing going on as to what is, what are we trying to say here, you know, in the film and Mm -hmm. how is the music uh, either, you know, how is the music supporting that? And, right, and right. you know, so I think it's important from a film, uh, scoring aspect, especially with new clients to get in early mm-hmm. and, and, and talk to them about that. Right. It's also important to get in early these days from an organizational standpoint. Yes. Um, it is a lot of work and unfortunately music is the last thing yeah. to be put in the film. <laughs> yep, yep. And of course they've run out of money. Mm-hmm. They run out of time, uh, you know, and so you've got those two things already working against right. you. Right. Uh, so you really have to be aware of how um, to be as efficient as possible and help them right. in any way that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it has a lot to do with the budget and all the rest yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes we'll hire small armies to, you know, to help out and, right. and sometimes you just have to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's Especially the only with music way to meet pre- those deadlines. Well, yeah. yeah. Music prep alone, you right. know, uh, it takes, uh, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and although these guys, they've got that down now. So, and I've kind of developed systems right. to do a similar type of thing you know we've all got our ways of you know doing things very efficiently right, to right. get from point a to point b and, and and quite frankly that's um that's that's to me the definition of an engineer yeah. is is <laughs> to uh, and, yeah logistically yeah. work out what mm-hmm. is necessary to get the right. job done as efficiently and on time absolutely as, you know, especially as possible, but on time. On yeah. time is the the real, yeah. Yeah. the real big one in that. Yeah. Um, and how does it vary? Like when you're working on an album, obviously it's completely different. How do you uh, how do you prepare an artist for the studio? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't done a lot. I mean, what I well with artists, what I try to do, um, and, and unfortunately, I haven't done a lot of that work lately, which is a, yeah. a, a bit of a shame, you know, because I really <laughs> that's one of my favorite things to, yeah. to be able to do is work with an artist. Um, but I did do this little series where I was just experimenting a little while back in, in when I had my studio in Hollywood mm-hmm. and we just get a bunch of musicians together. You know, it's like once a month kind of thing okay. that we were doing. And it was really important for me just to, you know, let either I was trying to blend some unlikely musicians together just to see what right. would happen. It was right. just an experiment, really. <laughs> um, but the preparation for that was really to have everything ready in the studio. So ready that when they literally sat down or walked up to a microphone, they'd Mm -hmm. stuck their headphones on and I could hit record. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how prepared 
Uh, I expect, uh, you know, a session to, to run, you know, um, and in the old days, back when there was a lot more band stuff and recording studios Mm -hmm. had a lot more band things going on, um, you know, there were crack people, you know, I mean, when I, I I worked at Oceanway for a while and they, Mm -hmm. that when I worked, the days I worked at Oceanway, every assistant there was every much a a, a great engineer. Um, And they knew what the expectations were. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we're working some of the older, you know, but, you know, more mature, shall we say, engineers uh, uh, of the time. And they don't necessarily, they didn't keep up or need to have to keep up on, say, Pro Tools or all of these other uh, different formats or Mm -hmm. a lot of the other things um, that we... Technically, now we have right, to know. Right. But they didn't have to know that. So it was to me as an assistant engineer in those days, it was mm-hmm. my job to really thoroughly, right. like, know the console. Yeah. Like, there was a time when I, you know, when it, whatever studio I was working at when I was at Oceanway, mm-hmm. I knew those consoles, tape machines, everything right. like the back of my hand because that was the job. Yes. You know, I, I felt I was uh, the front salesman of for the studio. Right. So when yeah. somebody came in, you want everything to run smooth. You, right. you do not want mm-hmm. downtime, or if it is down, if there is downtime, you want it to be as invisible or right. non-existent as possible. Exactly. You know, um, you're working <laughs> and at, that's, a gr- and that's a big part about you know just keeping artists creative is yes, being ready to go, having everything at your fingertips, having a, a creative playground. You know, absolutely. Like, that's yeah. what it's about. You know, yeah, yeah, keeping it, things moving. Yeah, so. it really is true. And if if they can, yeah, if they can just sit down. In front yeah. of a microphone and play music, right. you know, uh, that's that's going to go a long way. Yeah. So. <laughs> you mentioned this a little bit before, but when you're working with composers or even directors, how do you work on translating the vision of their sonic palette they have in mind? Uh, that, that depends on the connection that I have. Okay, so my first priority is to the composer, right? always. Because um, sometimes they don't necessarily agree with what, is going on either, <laughs> right? Uh, or they fully agree, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. So, um, hopefully, you know, luckily I've worked with, I don't think there's a composer I work with that doesn't really have a thorough grasp of, mm. of who their boss is, is what I was yes. used to say, <laughs> yes. you know, um, because it's really important in, especially in modern filmmaking, when there's a lot of people making a movie. Right. Okay. I was, I was still, I just paused for a second. Yeah. The first time I ever went to a real scoring stage, I was shocked by just the sheer size of the control room i'm like right why is it so big oh because there's literally 30 people in the back and they're all here making decisions and approving stuff yeah or just hanging out (laughs) you know (laughs) hopefully i don't have to shush them too much uh you know occasionally you do but every situation in every film is different Mm -hmm. so you have to be able to read um the people in and read the room right you know as i said my first priority is to the composer hopefully we've had a good long conversation prior Mm. to going in to the studio and not just had a conversation but we've you know i've i've you know nowadays when i say that i like to prep the sessions i like to get everything ready because i can premix i can listen to every cue i can Mm. listen to uh the dialogue i can listen to it against watch the picture you know get a real feel for what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. at least from the composer's angle. Now, hopefully, if the composer-director relationship is really, really right. good, then it's fantastic. That right. that works great. I mean, the, the greatest films I've worked on have been the ones where the director really has total creative control. Right. And those can be difficult. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah. But that's art. You know, art yes. can be very difficult to get to the end, the end <laughs> result. But um, 
when it comes out and it's a great product and right. you just go, that's a really a good, a great thing that we just did there and Absolutely. accomplished. Absolutely. Um, those are the ones that are great. So my thing is to sit there and listen to the room. Mm. I'm, you know, I, I prefer these days having the composer in the room with me because usually that's the direct right. connect to the direct yes. direct to the director mm -hmm. or whoever's yeah. really in charge. <laughs> exactly. Because then I can read it a little bit better. When they're on the podium, it gets a little bit more difficult for mm -hmm. me. Um, if if there's if there's any kind of um, decision making or or things that aren't quite right. Right. Uh, it's much easier. Next to you right. And yeah, to, exactly. Okay, yeah. I find it a lot easier to have, you know, and that's usually that's 98 percent of the time now, quite frankly. Yeah. I, I find that, that that I'm with uh, the composer themselves. Mm, right. Um, and then the director's there and then decisions and changes can be made much more quickly. Right. Because, again, you're just reading the person and reading their body language and what they're into or what they're not into. Mm -hmm. um, and exactly. Yeah, you can read it pretty quickly. Um, I do, with that said, I mean, there's some early stories. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit, it's, it can be a bit shocking for some directors when they first walk into a bit major scoring stage. Yeah. As you said, it's a big yeah. giant thing. There's, you know, upwards of a hundred plus people right. on the, on the floor playing mm -hmm. the music in a way that they've never really heard before. Yes, they've right. heard pretty good mock-ups and, mm -hmm. and things that, that, so they've made decisions and said, yes, we like this music, but right. it's still a MIDI, generally a MIDI-based yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and some guys do those MIDI things really great and they really mm -hmm. represent what it is on the screen. But sometimes you're going for uh, things that are not really not, you're not really able to connect. Right. Um, Right. with samples mm -hmm. um and that can be shocking to some directors right. sometimes um i you know one of one, my very first film with with the big film with michael and ang mm -hmm. lee um was the ice storm okay and we did that in toronto actually which okay. was really but i was here in la already mm -hmm. and we went up there and i remember ang being very reactive to how big the music seemed right. to him, how gigantic right. everything seemed. Right. And it, it took me a while, but I figured out if I simply turned the volume down, <laughs> Jeez. okay, right. then he would go, oh, that's better. Okay. Without having to get too Without much changing anything. Uh, changing right. elsewhere. Well, that being said, a lot of time films, the, Music is buried, you know. Right, it's, exactly. So he wasn't and, used to and, that. And, and with that said, though, but, you know, the problem is, is we're listening for different things. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm listening for click leakage right. and, you know, tuning <laughs> and timing and exactly. all these other things from a performance standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it does get difficult uh, if you're listening at too low a level. Right. And then especially if the room gets... Uh, yes. Those, <laughs> a little chatty. <laughs> yeah, a little chatty in behind you. It gets, right, uh, it gets right. a little bit crazy. Exactly. Um huh. That's interesting. Yeah. So, but that's why I say, that's why, I mean, to answer the, yeah, it's, there's a long answer to that, obviously, yeah, because it's, for sure. it really is. Every situation is different. Every director mm -hmm. is different. Um, dozens and dozens of stories about, you know, different, different situations, but yeah, you just have to read the room mm -hmm. and you have to be knowledgeable enough to read the room. That's the thing you have right. to, you know, and that's just from years of doing it. I mean, honestly, I am so glad I had, you know, the, the dozen years of assisting that I did, you right. know, quite frankly, right. I wish there was more of that yeah ongoing anymore but there there really isn't you know yeah. 
Um, and it's, it's a bit of a shame, you know, it's, it's right. difficult for, right. uh, young people to get into this business, yeah. um, and, and, and get a job, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's different. I mean, I feel like it's, it's a different kind of scene now where it's like, yes, there are, there is obviously still a handful of big studios and there, there is that avenue, Yeah. but it's, there's a lot of people that, you know, are, in some little town somewhere and just do, working at a little studio. And quite quite frankly, they have a good career, but they're just not at this caliber of the big films oh, yeah, and the massive absolutely. stuff it's, it's and all not, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's not know. just the films, it's music. I mean, yeah. the bedroom musician is, you know, massively popular again. Right. And I mean, I mean it, it, you know, it took, you know, mm. it, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like, you know, I, I did, you know, some days with Dr. Dre, you know, back right. in the early, the early, yeah. uh, in the 96 area, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And, and I distinctly remember going, wow, he's created an entire form of music based mm -hmm. on not having the, the particular musical knowledge right. that we all learned. Yeah. So it's a completely different approach mm -hmm. to making music. And I love that. I mean, that's again, right. why I loved hanging out. I was kind of hung out with those guys for a couple of years and it was just right. really fun to, uh, not fun. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was just a, a real, I was a real, I'm always a sponge. Like if I'm right. doing something, yeah. I don't care what it is. I want to learn about it and I want to understand mm. what they're doing. And it's kind of the, the abuse of equipment that actually was <laughs> right. part of what that yeah. sound is, you right. know? Because well, they're mean, sometimes limited on what gear they can use. Absolutely. Even, you know? But so. even once they get up to the big studio, yeah. they're still kind of, you know, louder, louder, more, more. Yeah. And, and so suddenly you're seeing, you know, red lights pop all over the the, right. the the ssls in those days and you're just like wow that's part of it right that's, that's part of what sound. that sound yeah. is yeah. you know that's crazy um so that yeah learning about those kinds of distortions and right. and things like that was right. was vital you know and how so. do you you mentioned you know working long hours obviously mm -hmm. there's a lot of times with the deadlines and everything else we have to work for long periods how do you stay inspired and maintain creative momentum during those long sessions? Ooh, well, first off, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Number one, don't do Number it. Number one, don't do it. Uh, to tell you the answer, a friend of mine uh, used to have a saying that nothing good happened after 3 a.m. Right. Because you know, every day you go in and, uh, and yeah. listen to what you would, that last yeah. couple of overdubs you did, and it was always shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so hopefully you learn, yes. uh, and you start, and hopefully maybe you move that hour up a little right, bit, right. you know, and... and <laughs> and start to figure it out. Exactly. Um, it's hard. Um, what I would do, I mean, here, here's how I, okay, in the, uh, as an assistant, there's no choice. You, you, you do right. what you do. And then those were the longest days mm -hmm. when I was assisting because yeah. you'd have to be, you were the first one in, last one to leave, you know, yeah. basically was, was the thing. And so you, you'd show up, uh, you'd get the session going, you'd roll through the session. Um, and really you're just, you're just the catalyst for making everything go. Yeah. I mean, you just have to, get everything going, you know, uh, then people would, 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 you know, slowly, you know, hopefully they would leave and then you would have the time, you know, when I worked at ocean way, it was, it was a drag because I was kind of the guy that was doing the, the, uh, because I had so much, uh, orchestral knowledge right. already going mm -hmm. in. They, I was the guy who would do those gigs. So okay. we would go in and, you know, if, if there was a mix in the room, God forbid the day before, right. because these guys, you know, they never stop, you right, know, they're going right. to keep going until, you know, uh, mm -hmm. 
until you know the very <laughs> last moment and you know luckily i could at least maybe set the floor up or something but right. i could not get in the control room to actually mm -hmm. get things going so you'd be scrambling and then yeah. sometimes there'd be a couple of turnovers like that those were the days where there was like yeah i was doing like at least a 30 36 hour day <laughs> at least you know at least once a month my record is 64 hours what? of one single day i yeah. don't think i've even hit that yeah Holy i crap. hit 60 that was that was at ocean way and it was it was a constant clock in too <laughs> oh, and i remember having to uh tell karen that that that, that was a constant Right. thing i'm going no <laughs> this is one I day out. i didn't forget the clock out <laughs> yeah it was one 64 Jeez. hour day Jeez. um so those were the assisting days so that they were harder because the 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 you know the engineer would have a little bit more freedom to come in do his thing and right. go right now when it came to film time what i would do is i think at all times we only really have you know sort of that eight hours in us to right. really focus listen you know because mm -hmm. we're listening at you know pretty good levels i mean luckily with film music it's very dynamic so it's not like pop right. music right. where if you're listening at a high level it's kind of a constant yeah. barrage right with with film music it's very dynamic so people go how do you listen so loud and going well there's the loud bits but yeah. then there's a lot of really quiet bits so mm -hmm. i'm not it's not the whole as time. fatiguing yeah. as you might think then what I would try to do in the early times of it, because I was still maybe, you know, I didn't have a, an editor or something, mm -hmm. I would sort of uh, mix a bunch of cues, get those approved, done, and then I'd move into like a four-hour period where, or four or five-hour period where what I was doing was prep work okay. and things like that. Things that didn't require my 100% right. hearing right, right. uh necessarily Even just a different level of focus different so level can, of focus yeah. different yeah so i d subdivide the work up right. so that i can i can huh. keep um that's interesting keep going for those long hours right, right. and that was really important because early early on uh yeah they were 15 hour days seven yeah. days a week for years <laughs> years and years and years years you know Jeez. yeah and um <laughs> It's changed now because I've also learned, you know, again, one of the nice things just in, in terms of that, of having my own studio is mm -hmm. I have that option. Right. So I can say to somebody, look, if the deadline's not completely crazy, mm -hmm. can we just do two eight-hour days instead of one 16-hour right. day? You see? Right. And, uh, you know, then you're not paying two days at a studio necessarily. Mm -hmm. But again, this is also part of, you know, the, the demise of the studio yes. because we've done this to <laughs> right. ourselves. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. Um, it Yeah, it's just kind of the, it, it helps me a lot right, uh, right. to be able to sort of say, oh, okay, I... I and only rather, need to work yeah. these particular hours. Rather break it up. Than yeah, I mean so the long. other thing that changed that has changed now too is is the fact that we record all over the world. That's another right. whole new level of this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are days I'm going to be in here. We're recording in London. You know, I'll have to be here. You know, one a.m. Right. You know, starting my Jeez. day. You know, <laughs> um, you know they're very good over at London. At, you know, trying to push it to an afternoon evening right, session. Right. So at least that's like three or four in the morning for us here. Okay. That, um, that's better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, but it does make it uh, doable because um, yeah. I do a lot. I hate to say it, that's a, another part of what's happened in our business is we do have that ability to, mm. you know, record all over the that's world. And, and, and that, you know, I've set up pretty, amazingly here for that quite honestly yeah. you know the awesome. last uh 
a couple of films that we've I produced from here, you know, mm. with whoever, you know, I was working with the composer. Mm. Um, it's seamless. Like nice. we're we're running live video, live audio, all in sync with the audio they're recording down right. our end. And honestly, nice. y- you don't even know you're not there. I mean, it's that, <laughs> right. it's gotten that good, you That's know, crazy. which is crazy. Huh. So, yeah. Dang, nice. I just want to take a quick break and tell you about my free guide, The Art Method, the Advanced Recording Toolkit. In it, I share the details of how you can get pro studio results from your home studio. I've believed for a long time that it's the cooking, not the kitchen. If you can learn some of the advanced methods for getting great results in the studio, you can do it in any studio. I skip the basics and dive into the more nuanced info you need to level up the quality of your home studio recordings. Check it out now at brennandecora.com art. And now, back to the show. Um... What are your tips for navigating creative differences and finding common ground when working with a diverse team? Hmm. Not get angry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a good question. It is hard. Um, There are times, I think, for me, I'm I'm a tool. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. I'm a tool. I'm a tool. No, but I'm, I, I am, I'm just, I'm not, uh, unless I'm put in that position of being a decision maker, but I'm, I'm generally right. not. I and mean, there's a few clients that I have that they depend on me a little bit more mm-hmm. from a produ- producer standpoint. Right, and right. I will step into that producer role. Um, then there's the guys that just simply know what they want. And those right. guys I love because they just come in sit down and say, okay, do this, do, do blah. Mm-hmm. you know, they'll literally go, okay, this up two dB, this down three dB, this, you know, from right. here to here, take that out. And I'm, I, mm-hmm. that is amazing. Okay. Yeah, Where clear. I find for me, the trouble is, is the guys that don't quite know how to express themselves. Right. Okay. That's where it does get difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're trying to get what they want. Right. But, if they can't necessarily express themselves very well, right. um, it, it gets a little bit, it mm-hmm. gets a little bit tricky because there's a lot of ways you can go with a mix as you, yeah. you know, it's especially infinite. mixing, yeah. you know, and, and honestly, I, I, I'm not one, I'm not precious about mixing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I, you know, I put a lot of time into something and go, wow, here's what it is. Right. Um, and if they hate it, then you're just like, man, nobody ever hates it, but there is yeah. always a, um, an element of, did I hit the right, uh, uh, you know, sort of thing for them? Is it, you know, you know, and, and sometimes you miss and, and, and again, with guys who really know, they'll Mm -hmm. go, no, 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 no. This is about the piano, for example. Right. This is not about the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Okay, because oftentimes if you just get an orchestra piano, you'll just kind of go, "Oh, is this right. just in here?" Okay, yeah, I hear it's playing some melodies, but so are these guys. Right, right. So, do we blend this as a an orchestra, mm-hmm. or is it a a solo piano piece? Right. And and you know, really, the orchestra is supportive. Mm-hmm. So, those are the things that you know. Hopefully, again, we've we've. If I'm recording, mm-hmm. that's the difference between when you're just mixing too and right. and recording and yeah. mixing. It's great when you're recording the project yourself, or at least mm-hmm. producing from afar. You know, um, you at least get to go through the music once, right? Hear the comments from the composer, the yeah. director, the music editors, all the other people that kind of need what they need. Mm-hmm. You know, because I have to service all of that. You know, 
um, especially the music editors at this point too. That's another, that's another whole area because, you know, with random access in this world has now come fully random access in the, the editorial world of filmmaking. So films don't necessarily have to be finished at all. (laughs) Um, so what's made our world so much more difficult is, is that, is that we need to, how do you, keep the integrity of the music and you know mm. and i hate to say that some producers especially that don't understand right. that you can't just chop it up like you do dialogue and and right. everything else and just right. overlap a b rolls and right. and you're off there's melody there's rhythm mm. there's things about music that that yeah. need to constantly work and if you just chop it up yeah. it just sounds ridiculous and anyone <laughs> yeah. everyone can hear that right. it sounds ridiculous right. and they're just going well that why does that sound ridiculous yeah. and you go well you chopped up your movie and yeah. we chopped up the music right. and it doesn't work <laughs> anymore to make it work, but... so um <laughs> you know that's kind of what's led to the modern music production too. right so, i've even had you know with just regular record production too it's yeah. like i'll do a full mix and then you know, the artist would be like, oh, this is great, but now it made me realize hearing it this way, I want to add some more vocals, I want right. to change yeah. the section, Absolutely. let's move this part around. It's yep. like, well, that's, we're already mixing, what are you doing? Yeah, you know? and that's back to production. Yeah. But that's the thing, you can do that all the time. Yeah. You don't have to pay attention and 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 say that. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean I'll mean, i go into my little my little thing about that, all of that, the analog digital world and right. all, all of those right. things. I always like to say to everyone, there has been a great piece of audio art made mm-hmm. in every format that ever existed. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I don't care what format it was. Some form has been captured mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful piece of work. Right. Okay. And we always have to remember that when the arguments used to come in about the analog versus digital. Yeah. There was yeah. times when things were, you know, this or that with it, with it and analog could be described as better right. or whatever. You know, I mean, I'm even going back listening to the records now. Are they better? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. They are a thing and there's an active putting it on and listening to it that is very very different from you know just randomly having you know your 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 box go Mm -hmm. um but for me the biggest difference between analog and digital is basically is more about linear and random access than anything else okay that's where the disconnect occurred Mm -hmm. um and i think uh when people don't have to make decisions on the spot they don't yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. And and yeah. that's the thing. Uh, I mean, back in the analog days or even the linear days of, of, of digital, mm-hmm. you would have to make a decision, you know, because yeah. we're about to hit, rec- you know, record, which means erase that beautiful yeah. vocal line or that great guitar solo. And so there was discussions. Right. And you'd listen <laughs> over and over again right. about those you're sorts sure of we things. Can beat this. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't have to occur anymore. Right. So you can kind of you know get and when you're mixing you go oh wait let's pull this out i think one of the yeah one of the problems with mixing is is i think a lot of that comes down to that they don't make decisions either and they pass the buck down to the (laughs) mixer a little bit right and um look i don't mind again it depends on the client i'm working for you know the most of them you know that that are depending on me producerially they get it and they know and i'm Mm -hmm. fully willing to do that kind of work and 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 I enjoy it, but um, you know you you have to know going in sort right. of what the extent of that's going to be. Right, right. Um, I'm usually more involved with those projects too, so I can understand what the music mm-hmm. is wanting to be in the end. Mm-hmm. So um, that helps tremendously. Right. But I, I'm not sure that um, 
it's always that useful when things come to me that have been recorded mm -hmm. somewhere else and, and, uh, and all the rest of that. I mean, I think, I think that the real trappings are still in pop music. I think it's, that's one of the yeah. reasons I don't do too much pop music anymore because I think it just got really, really tricky getting these sessions mm -hmm. and people not really knowing like, is the production done, you <laughs> yeah. know? And I, and I remember, you know, at the end of my sort of pop career, trying to mix things and realizing this isn't probably done, right. you know? And I didn't have the, the sort they're, of they're expecting wherewithal you to finish it with the mix. Right. And, it's like, well. and to say, this is not ready to, is this really, you know, right. you have to be willing to say, is this really ready to be mixed? Right. You know, um, is it done? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and having, you know, oh, I don't even want to say it, but having, you know, a hundred kick drums doesn't make yeah. for a production, you know, it's just right. like, it's like pick a kick. I don't yeah. care, you know, <laughs> um, or pick a combination of kicks and put those right. together for me and say, okay, there's the kick drum. Well, then you have a kick snare and a vocal and you're like, okay, is the production done? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe it is. I don't know. You know, there are yeah. some that yeah. are done like yeah. that, you know, exactly. and, they're, and they're great, you exactly. know, um, <laughs> but that's where I think sometimes the poor mix engineer gets kind of shafted because they, mm -hmm. they don't, uh, they're not involved enough in the project, uh, up until that point. Right. So you don't know where the artist's head's at or the record right. company or whoever is. Well, there's two you know, sides of that coin though, because it's like, sometimes you want that fresh perspective of right. someone that hasn't been involved. So it's like, okay, let's see where you take it. And then you can go from there, you know? So sometimes it can work out. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So. I mean, I look at things often very differently than, than a lot of mixers, right. you know? I mean, I've always kind of tried to find the weirdest kind of quirkiest stuff in a, mm -hmm. in a, in a track. And, mm -hmm. um, I remember telling early on, I say, look, if you, if you, if you have it in there, if the track is active or alive, right. I'm going to listen to it. And if it's <laughs> like completely fucked up, but right. I'm going to love it. Yeah. And, get it in there i'm going to and i'm right. going to turn it up really loud so you better want it <laughs> exactly exactly so awesome so i just want to touch a little bit on atmos yes it's obviously very oh not so much new anymore but uh you do obviously a, a large majority of the atmos mixing in for films but actually i don't have you done in a way oh really yeah I, let me let me let me explain it a little bit okay. um in in uh, hopefully in layman's terms, in the way that I've yeah. learned how to deal with, it. I went in kind of kicking and screaming into the Atmos world. Mm -hmm. Once I have look, I've been mixing beyond stereo most of my career. Right. Okay. So for guys like me that understand multiple uh, speaker sy systems, mm -hmm. um, it's not that new uh, right. to us. It's really not. Another yeah. thing to really understand is that it was not developed as a consumer product. It was developed as a film, okay. as they usually yeah. are. It's developed as a film. Right. Playback system. Well, and it, okay? it was for many years before it ever yeah, was pushed but, for Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of where it started. Mm -hmm. And I was very, I did some of the earliest films. I mean, I think Life of Pi was, we did Atmos, um, mm -hmm. one of the, the very early ones. I think I did one of the very, very early ones. I can't remember what it's called now, but um, they did it in Atmos as well. But at that time, they didn't even really have proper Atmos mixing rooms right. yet, right. you know? So we were basically setting up in theaters they would set up like life of pi was set up at one of the big studios uh, on the lot at fox okay and basically uh it was a you know they had already got the theater atmos mm -hmm. so then they basically took the seven one stems right. and re uh configured for right, atmos right. now so atmos in is very basic let's just take a very basic look at it okay mm -hmm. 
it has a 128 track limit. Yeah. Okay. So we all have to remember that it has a 128 track limit. Mm -hmm. That's it. So that's what can be uh, encoded in in the Atmos format, stuck into the box, and then recreated back out of the box. Mm -hmm. I won't get too much technical about some of the other things. Mm. The way that most people look at it is, is that there is a uh, a bed track essentially. So they take basically the first ten right. tracks. It's a seven one uh, or eight track, whatever it is. They take uh, the first batch of tracks, mm-hmm. and that becomes a bed track. And then, and on a big film, there might be several of those, just because right. you know you got to keep dialogue separate from. Of course. Um, you know, all the, all the other things. So you're going to be starting to eat up into this 128 mm-hmm. limit. Yeah. Okay. It's 128 limit. I rarely have under 800 tracks. What? <laughs> for just for music. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> it's gotten crazy. Yeah, um, people don't look, make, okay. I gotta say decisions. it's anywhere from, I mean, honestly, I mean, I can look at this. I mean, even on this here, there's a pop song. I'm up to 236 voices on this. <laughs> okay. No, that's because I have a lot of, because uh, I do stem mixing all the time. Right. Um, can I get into a little production sure. techniques? Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, it really comes down to, to that. So now mm-hmm. for you're remixing a pops record that's just a, you know, sort of a normal, mm-hmm. can be, you know, brought down into that 128 right. tracks. You can have your bed because the bed is always separated out. So yeah. that leaves you with your whatever 120 something yeah. objects that you can use. They yes. call them objects at that point, which are basically mono, individual mono tracks that are uh, given pan information that right. is stored with the data. Right. Uh, the reason that that uh, is works really well in theaters is because it's scalable and that's the yes. reason that they they that dolby put it in so you can go from a studio my size mm-hmm. which is a 914 setup at the moment and you can go out to a full 64 tracks right. and wherever you put that object it will determine how many speakers and how right. much It'll energy has to be put into each of those things to put that in mm-hmm. the exact same position again right okay which is which is great mm-hmm. um and a lot of guys, especially in the pop world, they've gone directly into that. Now, I will do that likely with with uh, some of the earlier records that I'm going to hopefully you know get a chance to remix myself, mm-hmm. um, where I will likely go into that because then you're dealing with like 64, 100 tracks. Right. You know, it's it's you know even even if it's a big pop song, mm-hmm. you know, you're not dealing with much more than that. But once you start breaking into massive amounts of tracks, mm-hmm. there's that. And then the other problem, as I mentioned before, people not finishing, not getting the editorial done in their Mm -hmm. films. The reason that I have so many tracks is because we have to keep major parts separated at all times. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I have to deliver to the music editor on the film in such a way that he has a chance because right. we don't have time again anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So at some point, they're going to be, you know, editing the film, You're editing their film, but we're going to have to go, we have to take one of those edits and they have to score to it and we have to finish it. Right. The music, because there's no more time <laughs> right. to get to the date, right. okay? So we do that, but in order, if they're still really in flux and most, especially action movies, they're constantly in Mm -hmm. flux you have to have the ability to be able to edit that and hopefully the music can survive if it was just a one big atmos mix which for one thing you know they're not going to give me all those 
all those uh, things at the dub stage because they've right. got to still put dialogue, yes, of sound course. effects. Yeah. All of those things have to be in this 128 right. package, right? That's true, yeah. So, so I don't mix in that at all. So I mix in the bed, basically. So right. I am mixing in Atmos, but I'm pretty strictly in 712. I've done mm. some 714 stems for some dub mixers. Uh, again, this is a, an interesting time because... I find that the dub mixers and the music mixers, we have to, again, get a little more in touch with one another. It yes. was unlike in the old days, it was like, okay, we just finish the music, pass it on, mm -hmm. the music editor takes it into uh, the dub, and that's that. Right. There's a lot more conversation now about delivery and how we're going to, mm -hmm. you know, sort of get it there. Uh, I mean, I'm set up pretty simply for, you know, 712 at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so... It's, uh, you know, and now with, you know, the 2048 voices too, there's a, yes. there's another world in which we live. Yeah. I still do separate rigs, by the way, though. So I still, it's down to kind of one rig here, mm -hmm. which has got all of my source material on it. Mm -hmm. And I always mix into another rig. I And, and right. I usually can put, because it's a mixed rig, it's in there pretty powerful now. I can mix that 128 tracks directly over because basically I'm running right. 128 tracks from here into this other right, right, rig. Right. And a lot um, of bigger Atmos rooms are set up that way, so you have the most power on. Right, the exactly. Mixer, and then know? I'll have my video in there, so that's not putting the power right, on here. Blah nice. blah blah, all the rest of yeah. that stuff. So there's a lot of different subdividing of of mm -hmm. power, and it's about efficiency too. You know, yeah. it's like um, how quickly does it take to open a session? I right. mean, we still don't mix live in the box. I wish I could, but yeah. we don't because I can't do a, a, the massive sessions that I do because they take, as I was saying earlier, mm -hmm. it's upwards of two and a, two minutes, minute and a half to two minutes now on this this new computer mm -hmm. uh, to open one of my big right. sessions. So, which you, you got seventy sessions to open exactly? Yes. You know, maybe twice, yeah, or more. You know, <laughs> uh, the, our de our our max on that time is around fifteen seconds that we want to okay. have the, the sessions open. So Jeez. we usually when we're we're recording the big orchestras will mm. um uh have just you know we'll have a separate rig that's the pre-lays pre-records right, right. all the rest of that stuff then we'll have click and everything else on there and then that way we're not using plugins we're not using all of the yeah. things you know within the box that eat up, up the amount of time for sessions to open yes. so it's just like audio exactly. needs to open boom open it opens up 15 seconds bang you're ready you're recording right, right. and you can we can keep recording and plow through and get it get it done so you're doing albums then for Atmos stuff? What's the uh, main I did, thing? well? No, I'm doing. I am doing it for film in that. Right. But I'm like I said, I'm Just mixing in the bed track. Okay. Right, okay. Right, so right. I'm mixing in seven one two generally. Okay. So then with seven one two, um, you know, you've got the ten tracks per per thing. So I'm mm -hmm. generally mixing upwards of twelve stems at that point. Okay. Um, you know, because you know I need a few extra tracks and I got to print click as well and things yeah. like that uh, for the music editor. I mean, these are all things that I'm doing for the music editor. Mm -hmm. So that way, you know, you've got generally it's strings are separate from brass, separate from percussion, separate right. from, you know, hopefully melodies can be separated out from some of these other things. And, mm -hmm. and it really is for editorial. And that right. is the, the real case. And especially things that are hitting the screens, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all the poor harp players of the world that I feel so bad for because they've all been locked in a little booth for years now. <laughs> um, and, and, and honestly, you know, an orchestral harp sounds much, much better orchestrally mm -hmm. when it, they're in the room yeah. with everyone else. Yeah. However, oftentimes harp glisses and things like that are actual specific shots or something happening in our movement right. or somebody does something. Anything that 
hits a specific shot needs to be separate. Those right. are the things. So right. I always try to explain to people, it's not because <laughs> we don't like your plane or we don't like this or yeah. that. It's all about how do we try to keep the integrity of the music mm-hmm. to the final stages of yeah. where it's going to be in the edit and make it still sound like what the intent was. Right. And so that's why I can't mix fully Atmos exactly. in that manner. Hmm. Um, for pop music, because I, unfortunately my brain <laughs> <laughs> goes to stem mixing yeah. automatically, right. I kind of do the same thing. Okay. So it's just the way I work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I, I am going to mess around, like I said, uh, coming up the top of the year right. with proper object mixing Atmos okay. uh, in pop music. Right. Uh, haven't stepped too far into that mm. uh, yet. Hmm. Um, because again, too, even now I'm mixing 914 because now they've set up 914 tracks, 916 tracks. Yeah. All of that stuff is now being built into right. the into Pro Tools. They even so integrated integra- yeah, the uh, renderer now. Is right, in yeah, that's integrated yeah. too, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, that's great because then you can monitor through it at least right. and understand kind of what it's going to sound like, you know, in binaural because that's really... Right. Unfortunately, the main thing we're mixing for is the binaural mm-hmm. uh, yeah. style playback. Um, okay. Like I said, I, you came in here and I played a yeah. track and I'm just like, yeah, I wish, <laughs> you know, everyone could hear it like this, yeah, you know, exactly. Um, exactly. and uh, that's outside of a trade show. I mean, you know, yes. they can- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I like to wrap up every podcast with the same few questions, if okay. you don't mind. Um, the first one is, who is your most influential teacher? Can there be six? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> uh, there are six, I think, in okay. a way. I mean, um, in the early days, uh, a guy named Gary Gray mm-hmm. and uh, Ron Searles, uh, they, were, they were in Toronto, uh, mm-hmm. two of the guys that were uh, my early mentors, and I learned a great deal uh, from, from those two. Right. Um, one of the guys up there, too, um, I, I'm gonna. I would put into the same sort of thing in the crossover period would be Chris Wardman and 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 Dr. Dre are okay. two. Uh, they they were the two, two, two top. I always like to say this. So, uh, you know, the first two taught me about really good technique and mm. really good engineering skills. Right. Uh, Chris Wardman and Dr. Dre taught me that you can turn all the knobs all the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Important lesson. Exactly. Turn all the knobs all the way. Wow. Yeah. And, and you can do this stuff. And then, um, and then there was Alan Sides, mm-hmm. uh, who I did work closely with it when I was in my period there, and and uh, Sean Murphy. Right. Um, they uh, probably uh, dread being named in the same sentence, but I did have. Uh, <laughs> I learned a lot from both of them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I learned from them is how to utilize the space and the musicians mm-hmm. in the same space. And I think that's what a lot of people lack nowadays is, right. is that technique where, and that's one of the reasons I, I wanted to get back out of pop music. Cause mm-hmm. when it turned into one mic or two mics or yeah. you know a couple of mics and one instrument at a time, basically, right. um, it got fairly boring. Yeah, for the you know, quite honestly, yeah, it's just like I don't need, yeah, you know. (laughs) But when you have to put up a lot of mics, and it's not just the, it's it's about, and well, and that means a lot of musicians. Mm -hmm. It's about the comfort of those musicians together, Mm -hmm. 
and the comfort of, you know, the, uh, and how the mics are picking up different things and right. it adds to the size and all right. of those things. And I learned a tremendous amount from, from those, those schools. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I was very lucky to work with a lot of people. Al Schmidt, I worked with a few times, not, nice. not very often, yeah. but enough to get a feel for, right. Uh, his techniques too, which, um, I loved because it was, mm. it was, it was, you know, and, and, and I think that's part of what he's about and what, what Sean's about. It's about balance. Mm. It's about not turning those knobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's about listening mm. and just listening to the balance between different things, right. instruments and, and what that's saying as opposed to, uh, yeah, just, you know, working on that hi hat sound for six right. hours. You know, that stuff doesn't really in the in the in the big picture. If it's mm -hmm. going to be mixed with something else, it doesn't make any difference. Right. So, yeah, nice. Uh, the next question, which may or may not apply, but uh, what is your favorite reference track? If you have to go to a new studio and kind of learn the room, what do you put on? Ah, uh, man. Oh, man. I don't even know anymore. Um, uh, I used to carry around a DAT with a all dat? sorts of, yeah, a DAT <laughs> back in the day for a while. And then, I, then it became a CD at yeah. one point and I would carry that around for a little while. Um, I mean, these days, what's been really nice is I, as I was just explaining to you, mm -hmm. uh, when I, when I got in here, I mean, I, it's nice to be able to, Apple Music has got their shit together. Mm -hmm. Okay. I hate to say it, yeah. <laughs> but they did because they really had it screwed up for a long time. Um, but what's really nice for me now is I can come in my room and I've been monitoring and listening to just streaming Atmos mixes mm -hmm. in my room and getting my head wrapped around that. Now, not right. too many of the scoring stages are, 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 uh, are set up for that. Right. So I don't generally yeah. reference that. Um, with that said, I mean, I think part of, part of the reason that my main three microphones that I always put up on an orchestra mm. kind of remain the same or similar microphones is that that's a known reference. Yes. So when I put my three M fifties up and I run them through, you know, my mic pre's and mm -hmm. I pull up three faders and assign them left center, right. And I listen to the orchestra playing. I know what that's supposed to sound like. Right. Okay. Right. And I think that becomes has become my reference, mm -hmm. especially for that sort of world. Even, even in, um, I put up a lot of stereo mics, you know, all mm -hmm. over the place, wherever I happen to be, because I want to listen to what it sounds like in the room, right. you know? Um, and I sort of, that's kind of become my, my sort of reference. And yeah. the other thing is, is one of the nice things about, again, owning your own room is, mm -hmm. You know, you don't need it. So I, much. I, I yeah. don't need it. I, you know, and, and, and my, my room voicer, um, he voices, you know, a lot of the, the scoring stages mm -hmm. too and stuff. And so I think I've gotten very accustomed to his voicing. Right. So I think that's also part right. of it. It's like back in the day. I mean, I used to love Coco tuned rooms. Yeah. I remember, you know, mm -hmm. so I, and that was part of the thing. So we would always ask who, and, and it's not whether one guy is better or worse yeah. than the other guy, yeah. because everybody's going to voice the room yeah. in a, in their own way. But I think it's more a matter of um, uh, you just get used to what that is. It's just like you get mm -hmm. used to a speaker, 
Right. You know, I mean, is is this you know are these any better than you know the, the comparable you know other brand? Right. No. You know, you put them up side by side. Yeah, you'll hear differences. Yeah. Um, it's just about learning. Your it's system. just about learning what what yeah. it is you're listening listening exactly. to and listening for. You know, right. that's I hate to say. That. I mean, that's why NS tens used to exist. No, absolutely. You know, that was a, like a yeah. lowest common denominator that were on mm -hmm. every console that people could at least right put up and go. Okay, things are supposed to sound like that on here. Yeah. You know exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, last question: What would be one tidbit you have for an upcoming engineer? Okay, I hate to say this, learn about computers deeper than the program. Okay. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, I get a lot of people that come to me and they've spent a lot of time with Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. um, that's another whole conversation, but it, it is about, you know, you have to be able to adapt quickly. Right. Um, so learn a little bit more about the system, okay, about mm. the computer and how to kind of make sure it keeps going and all the rest of that stuff. Mm. Because a lot of what we do now and networks, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's, yeah. that's a big, big deal. And, and they all, everyone hates it when I say you need to learn more about networks. Right. I've gone in kicking and screaming. I was yelling and screaming <laughs> yeah. and complaining this morning, <laughs> but we fired it up, the studio up this morning. And it, yeah fired right up. I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive, you know? Because uh, it really is about networks settling down and, mm -hmm. and, and, and working. But you have to really understand how those things are, are connected. Right. Make yourself indispensable to an engineer mm -hmm. uh, like me. Right. <laughs> like come in and learn all of that. Yeah. Or be a great editor. That's another uh, mm -hmm. thing, techniques to, to learn. Um, I know it doesn't seem to have anything to do with engineering, but uh, it kind of is yeah. all about engineering now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say that of all the film mixing that I do now, um, like I just take a, um, a, a, a what if, for example. So that's one that I do, you know, on a, you know, we do it in chunks, but mm -hmm. it comes in from wherever we're recording, you know, in the world. And it's going to come in because they're just going to record big blocks of things. So they're going to do the, you know, like I said, they're going to, you know, sometimes mix out the, the, the brass from the, the, the strings and right. sometimes melodies will be pulled out. Kind of those decisions are made as they're recording. Right. Um, but my first job is to put that all back together. Like, so I've got to get mm -hmm. that married with the wide stems and all the rest of that. So you have to mm -hmm. understand how to really organize name things, yeah. be really <laughs> anal retentive about how you're doing things, mm -hmm. um, I think is really important. And even as a pop thing, yeah. don't send a mix engineer audio one, audio two, audio <laughs> <Yeah>. three, audio <laughs> four, audio five. I mean, come on guys. Right. How hard is it to go kick one, kick two, yeah. snare, you know, or whatever? Mm -hmm. um small and and don't give me these names and things that are a billion miles long and stuff like that <laughs> right. anyways i can go down these paths forever yeah. but it is it is a matter of of just learning and hopefully getting with somebody who really has had experience yeah. you know um wherever that may be nowadays it's with engineers you know often mm -hmm. in their own rooms like myself um because we don't you know this is my home studio this yeah. is where I work. Uh, I hate to say it. Unfortunately, you know, my career has moved to probably about, I record maybe 10% of the time, Yeah. you know, and that's my favorite part is recording. <laughs> right. <laughs> but 
it's just not the way things have gone. Right. You know, my, my uh, particular client list now just happens to work, you know, all over the world. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And it doesn't really have anything to do with them. It's all about right. production. The budgets. You know, and budgets and yeah. production. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't really have much say in where or how things get done, right. you know. Of course. Um, so we have to be, just learn to be very, very adaptable. Mm. Um yeah. You do have to get your basics somewhere though. And right. that's the thing. So, um, you know, if you can get a job at a studio, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's a great way to go, but it's pretty, pretty rare. Right. Um, but just sort of learning and understanding it's, it's hard because, you know, I, I grew up with so many different influences, you right. know, from so many learning from so many different people. Mm -hmm. And that's important because you don't want to necessarily, one technique is not necessarily yeah. going to, going to fly, you know? Right. Um, I've been lucky because I've learned so many techniques and I can adapt and change very quickly if yeah. something's not working, you yeah. know? Um, and you have to be able to make those decisions, especially with film scoring, you have to make those decisions very, very quickly. Exactly. Um, you know, if you're, learning on your own i mean nowadays there's so much information on the internet so there's yeah. a lot of that uh try to find good paths for it though because there's mm -hmm. a lot of misinformation yeah. out there as well <laughs> um, well it's all about the multiple you know avenues of information like right. if you see one that's clearly not correct then you'll see a bunch more that will have other stuff that's other helpful. stuff yeah. yeah so hopefully you can go down and, and investigate stuff like that and learn and and experiment and and mm -hmm. you know that's the other thing experiment Just have fun it. i mean there's no yeah. you know that's the thing there's no uh you know I'm, I'm luckily i had a really good i mean i think it's really important to have a good basic knowledge of mm. stuff um there's some good recording books that right. I think, you know, people, you know, can still read or get yeah. out there and read every once yeah. in a while um, <laughs> that really have it. My, one of my biggest beefs is just understanding uh, volume and level. I mean, those are the two right. things that are very misunderstood. Hmm. Um, and I try to teach that to everyone right. that I can. If I could get it, I still think I can get it down to like... <laughs> a paragraph and it'll be great. I'll just well, put what, that out what's there. What's the paragraph? Here's your, here's <laughs> it's your not chance. there. I know. I wish I could get it down to a paragraph. I mean, look, I mean, honestly, in, in, in my studio, just so you know, I mean, this is, for me, this is, this, this can go a long way. I can't see this, but I, I've got the grace monitor system down here for everything. Mm -hmm. And it is, I have two levels. Okay? okay. As far as volume goes. Okay. Okay. Understand this two volumes basically or two levels mm -hmm. 85 db setup which is the dolby standard setup that that i've right. got set up in 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 this room and then i've got a minus 10 on my dim button so it's 75 mm -hmm. i spend most of my time actually mixing at 75 uh, when i'm enjoying music or i'm or i'm uh, listening for uh, uh editorial reasons right. and things like that i'll i'll usually work up at 85 but when i'm doing general mixing the problem is is then you have to worry about the level thing Okay. Hmm. So if you go to 85 dB and you've set your room up to 85 dB, now here's the tricky bit. Okay. You have to understand what the reference level is of that. Now it used to be zero VU. That was really simple. Right. You take your, your uh, pink noise, yep. take it up to zero VU. SBL meter. And, and you'd, you'd yep. do your thing. Well, that's gotten misconstrued <laughs> because the digital meter has this zero at the top. Actually, I, I run in minus 14, by the way. Yeah. Um, 
on the meter logistics. And if people don't know how to do that, you just have to go and, and right click on the meter and you can right. change yes, your meter yes. your meter thing. I run it in K14. Okay. What that means is, is that it, okay. This is <laughs> where it gets really, a long it's, paragraph. it's a long paragraph because it's, <laughs> it's tricky because you're trying to explain to people that, that the, what is that zero VU represented in digital? Well, guess what? It's not zero. Yeah. And a lot of people think it's zero, Yeah, but it's not zero. It's if you went to the zero, close. that's yeah. you're, you're fucking everything up, yeah. okay? <laughs> what the zero VU meter means, and you have to understand this, like with analog gear, most analog gear mm. has some headroom above right. the 28 dB, right? right? So you hit zero, and or, or, or above zero, and which is actually plus four. I know that even gets yes. stranger, that's okay? Zero is not yes. actually zero, it's actually plus four. <laughs> um, so DBM, but and then you get into all the little things about what mm -hmm. all, and I don't want to get that complicated about right. it. That's what I'm saying. So we're just saying zero. It's this plus four thing. And you just think about it that above that, there's headroom built into all analog gear. Right. So in other words, if you're hitting zero, you can have the occasional thing go over that yeah. zero and it's, it's not going to blow gonna, anything up. Exactly. Everything's going to be fine. Okay. Now, where is that zero in your digital workstation? Well, most digital workstations, it's minus 20. Okay. Okay. That's, it depends on what your reference level has right. been set up to. Okay. Mm. But most digital systems are set up for a minus 20 mm. reference level. In other words, minus 20 is zero. Right. Okay. So you're only supposed to be taking your meter to minus 20. <laughs> right. And that represents zero VU. Yeah. <laughs> now we all like to push a little harder than that. Okay. <laughs> So what I, what I set up for on my meters is using this K14, it moves the zero mm -hmm. line 14 dB down. Okay. Okay, that's what it does. So it's buying me 14 dB of visual headroom. Right. Visual. Visual only. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I try to record to zero. Now, what's remarkable about all of this is mm -hmm. if I have set my studio up properly at 85 dB, okay, mm -hmm. and then I hit a kick drum and it hits right to the top at zero on the digital meter, right? You're gonna be blown out of your seat. It's gonna yeah. scare the shit out of you. Yeah. It's gonna be so loud. <laughs> Guess what? The level's too hot. Right. Pull it down. <laughs> Use your ears at 85 dB to record. Right. And you will be amazed at what great recordings you make. Yeah. Okay. Because suddenly you're going to be using all this headroom. Because if you're using up all that headroom, then you've got to keep turning everything down as it combines right. yes. and goes down to the mix, the final mix yeah. bus. All the faders should be at zero. Yeah. You know, one of the early, that's one of the Al <laughs> yeah. Schmidt things that I would learn very, yeah, yeah. very quickly. I mean, and all the great older engineers, mm -hmm. I mean, essentially... And you could do the well, same thing as me. that's your mix recall. Right. You, you could do, I could do, right. And... I would go, I'd put every fader <laughs> to zero and it sounded reasonable. Yeah, it might yeah. not be a final mix, but right. it's going to sound reasonably good mm -hmm. and you can work. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but if that zero, mm -hmm. you're thinking is zero on a digital meter. Right. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're just awesome. going to run out of headroom and yeah. everything's going to be distorted and gross. I mean, half the time, I hate to say this, when I get something in, even from some of my better clients that have been doing this for mm -hmm. years, the first thing I do is not even take, because you have to remember this too, I grab all the audio 
mm-hmm. and turn it down anywhere from minus 10 to minus 20 dB. Yeah. All the audio. Yeah. Because let's say I have a kick drum that you have, you've just put up flat because a lot of guys are just going to record flat at home. Right. But let's say I got to crank 15 dB on the top end on that. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That if, if it's at zero already, it's going to yeah. be blowing up off the, the end stops right it. away. Yeah. So... If you're going to provide an engineer with a mixed, a thing to mix, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get the sound right. necessarily the, <laughs> the way you really want it, and, and you know you've got, you know, if you're going to be very flat about it, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with recording flat. Yeah. Um, it, it uh, you know, it's great for us because then we go, okay, great. You've right. used a good mic pre, you've used a good mic, you've you kind of put it in the right place, whatever, but I need to do some carving work on it, or I need right. to go at it. If you need to go at it, especially in an additive direction, yes. you're you you're, you're in trouble. Yeah, so exactly. and and it's not going to help to turn the fader down. Right. No. <laughs> that's the other thing you have to understand about. It's this so relationship. So confused. what I'm trying to do is go. Yeah. It's like that's the relationship. The fader pulling down doesn't turn it down. Right. It's already too late. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> it's too loud already. So I use the audio technique to do that, but that gets mm-hmm. tricky too on recall or, or when I'm trying to do multiple things. Well, in film, it gets really tricky because then it's something I'll sometimes use trim because it, it can do okay. a similar thing. So sometimes my first uh, plugin will be the trim plugin. Right. And, and I'll run down that, turn all that down. And then yeah. I have the ability to, to mm-hmm. kind of mix it because you put that stuff up. But listen, you put that up. And look, look, I understand sending out loud, yeah. louder things mm-hmm. to get approvals and things like that. Yeah. That's what the mix bus is for. Right. That's what a mixing plugin is for. That's what they, I use, and this one, I was using this little you know, thing. Yeah. But that's what that's for. Crank it up there if you need to, right. to put it into some place that's not, exactly. it's not supposed to actually live. <laughs> exactly. Um, but awesome. don't do it when you've got the giant multi-track out, because yeah. that's... Because then you have nowhere to go. You got nowhere to go. Yeah. yeah. And it makes awesome. mixing, especially for a mixer like myself, it makes it, you know, that's instantly I'm just like, oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> right. You know, because I'll hit the play button at yeah. 85 dB. No, I actually usually don't. I usually pull yeah. it down, way down, because I can see. You can just look at look it. Look at and it and see. go, okay, this is going to hurt. If I hit that space bar right now, yeah. I'm going to explode things. Awesome. <laughs> and that's, but that's what I'm saying. Understanding the relationship mm-hmm. between volume and level, level. Yeah. is really important. And if you understand where 85 is and 75 is, and the only reason right. I bring it down to 75 is so I can get it a little bit louder. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Not a lot louder. 10 dB as opposed to 20 dB louder. Right. Um, and work in that area a little bit because that's, again, kind yeah. of the expectation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Although I don't do that a lot in film because I do mix. Right. Well, I try totally to mix different. deliberately in film for under dialogue mm-hmm. because what's the point in in giving them this stuff that they're gonna you know that's blasted right, away right. when they're just gonna yeah, turn it all yeah. down <laughs> you know that doesn't make any sense awesome. so that was a little longer than a paragraph but i it was know very that's informational. the problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's great though that's great awesome yeah. man well thank you so much i really appreciate well, it seriously my pleasure you. as you can tell i can go on for days so <laughs> oh good oh good <laughs> sweet awesome thanks thank you Thanks for joining me today on Pro Audio Profiles. Hit subscribe to stay updated. Catch you next week.